Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. My son died in a fire. Ask anyone. No, your son ran away. And now he came back. No one finds people from before. The flu took everything from everyone. So it matters getting anybody back. Welcome to Station Eleven, the podcast, a show that dives deep into the HBO Max limited series, Station Eleven. Every episode will be joined by a member of the cast and crew and find out not only their approach to the characters and stories, but will also reveal special behind-the-scenes insights into production and the process. I'm Patrick Somerville, creator, showrunner, and executive producer of Station Eleven. And I'm Angelica Jade Bastian. I'm a writer and pop culture critic for New York Magazine site Vulture. Each week, Patrick and I sit down with the many collaborators and artists from the TV series and talk about storylines, themes, and characters. We're also going to talk about what it's like to tell a story about a pandemic while living in an actual pandemic. Today, for our final episode of the podcast, we're taking a look at episode 10, Unbroken Circle, and the series as a whole as we talk with composer Dan Romer and editor David Eisenberg. Having an editor that really pays attention to temp score the way that David does gives me a bit more of a map as to what they were thinking in terms of the emotional flow. In that moment, we were like, well, let's switch to score there because it might elevate it to this other emotional level. And that's where, like, Dan comes in and just breaks everyone's heart. Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. Hi, Angelica, Angelica, Angelica. (laughs) We're really at the end. I know. You know what came up when the finals were coming out a couple months ago? Nate, one of our producers, was like, why do I feel so sad when I see these finals? I felt it too, for sure. But the thought I had too was like, the show's still there. It is. You know? So I think our conductor would be perfectly fine with it coming and going. And as she said, it happened. Now it's gone. There's something sad about it, but that's what makes it good. Yeah, that's true. But it's a little bittersweet uh, in many ways to talk about this honestly amazing finale. I was moved to tears every time I watched it. And a lot of very fascinating turns happen, whether it's something as major as Sarah the Conductor dying or... It's something major, but in a different direction, with Jeevan and Kirsten being reunited. There's such beauty and hope and care put into this finale. One thing that really struck me and really resonated within me from the show is the very last image in this finale of the fork in the road, with Kirsten going in one direction and Jeevan going in another And I think that visual acts as a metaphor for the ways that people can imprint on us and our lives can go in these 
dramatically different directions just because of the force, the gravity, and the effect of one person, even if it's as fleeting as a phone call that Miranda has with the pilot. Is this Captain Hugo Bennett? Currently aboard Air Gijigumi Flight 452, standing by on the runway in Severn City? Uh, yep, who's that? Captain? Uh, I need you to go against every single instinct you have and let the dead be gone. And while it may be brief, that phone call, the ripple effect of it is dramatic. And there's something stunning about the gravity of such a visual metaphor as well. Well, the first thing I keep thinking as you say metaphor is it is that, but it's also not a metaphor. Oh, yeah. Like we all know forks in the road, literally. But the thing I'm thinking too this is all new for me because you've sort of found a way to say it. A thing I've always wanted to understand is in both the cases of the phone call Miranda makes and the parting of the ways of of Jeevan and Kirsten at the end, everybody's choosing it. Mm. Everybody is allowed to make the choice of what to do, to say goodbye, to call a stranger. And I think that's what no one could when the flu descended, like no one got to choose. That's a good point. Yeah. And it makes me think too of Jeevan in the in the parking lot in one being like, people should choose what they want. Yeah. I, I'm at the end of the series, what strikes me most is just love is a choice you make. And to love people in the world, to love others in an intimate fashion, you have to make that choice. You're very vulnerable when you make that choice too. It's very true. There's lots of vulnerability happening in this episode as well. I actually want to highlight Jeevan and Kirsten's reunion. And I'm curious, like, because you could have been, like, very heavy-handed with that reunion, where it's just lots of them catching up back and forth. But we see really what's the tail end of something. And I thought that was a beautiful choice because it lets audiences think a lot about you know, how would I even react in that situation? And I wanted to hear a little bit about that choice with regards to Jeevan and Kirsten's reunion. You don't need it. You saw it. Yeah. Ten's different because we know what they need to say to each other to catch each other up. So whatever we'd be hearing is like nine. <laughs> Jeevan, would, yeah. Jeevan would tell her nine mm. and she would tell... um two, four, six, and eight, and then also stuff that we've heard. So, like, it's just not our show, I don't think. Our show is much more kind of like what Leon says in 103, endpoints and points of origin. And you don't need all the stuff in between to know the story if you feel it. And also props to our actors to be able to do that leap. Like, you need amazing actors to be holding that thing. I'll say, too, I had words scripted for Mm. the hug scene. They, though, were like, excuse me, no words. And they were utterly correct. Yeah. You know, because, like, what a lesson for me making Station Eleven has been that I need to get out of the way. 
a lot of times because someone else can do it a lot better than I think I can. And that is the art of collaboration, knowing when to step back, when to step forward. And I think that's a big reason, one of the many reasons why this show works on both what we're seeing on screen in terms of how it explores collaboration and artistry and also hearing how everything was working behind the scenes reflects the dynamics of the traveling symphony, just like a real love for what y'all are doing. And I think that's just really beautiful. And I know I keep saying it, but you've really, with your fellow amazing artists, created a beautiful show, Patrick. And I hope you feel your heart is warm with all the praise and all the good vibes people are feeling after watching it. I feel really tired. (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) And I also feel like I'm in the traveling symphony. Like, I got to go busk on the corner of Alvarado. (laughs) It's in me. Maybe that's why I wasn't sad when Nate was texting it to me. I was like, okay, yes, the finals are out. It's up there, but, like, it's with us. I like that idea of making art because the people making it get changed along the way. They have to, and that's good. I completely agree, and I think that's a beautiful note to end on, Patrick. Why don't we get to our interview with our guests, Dan Romer and David Eisenberg, and hear what they have to say. Let's do it one more time. Around the wheel. I'm excited as fuck to introduce our final two guests whose work has led to a lot of what we see and hear on Station Eleven. Dan Romer is an award-winning composer, music producer, and songwriter. He's responsible for the scores on films such as Luca, Gleason, and Beasts of Southern Wild, and composed for television with Rami, Atypical, and now Station Eleven. And David Eisenberg was not only the editor on Station Eleven, but he's also worked on shows like Westworld, The Leftovers, Bates Motel, Motherfucking Watchmen. I am so excited to welcome you guys onto this motherfucking podcast. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having us. Wow, what an intro. Hello, my two friends. (laughs) (laughs) We made a gigantic show. An amazing show. This is the final episode of the podcast, so we're, I feel like we're very much in a very reflective mood looking back on everything and how this show has affected us. I mean, even just me ugly crying on the watch party we do before we record. Everyone on today's podcast has ugly cried in front of me, uh, and I have ugly cried in front of Almost everyone on this podcast. Angelica, I don't think you've Not quite yet, seen it yet. No, I haven't but, seen uh, that. I think Reflective <laughs> is so right, though, for these guys, for David and Dan, because we wanted to reflect something about the experience of making, because they, they take so long. And then we had a pandemic extension. But the editorial process and then the creation of the score, the art was still happening, even though production was wrapped for a long time. We wrapped in July. But I think David and Dan can attest, like, our July, August, September, October, and November were pretty intense. And that's after the cameras stopped rolling. So these two guys are sort of the last team members and their crews who are kind of like carrying water for the show. But we have two of the biggest uh, creative forces who helped knit together our gigantic season in their ways 
and they're collaborating with each other too. So it's exciting to be able to just kind of get into it. And I also, these are just two lovely men. (laughs) Aww. You know, you come in in the back end and I'm very curious how it feels to be in that part of production and how you collaborate with people still in that phase of things. I would normally say Eisenberg goes first in the order, so he should talk first. But I'm realizing right now, as I'm saying it, that I did actually start working before you, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Tell us why. So, I mean, when Patrick first called me about the show, we started talking about it. He was like, there's three kinds of music we need for this show. One of them is going to be all these folk songs that this traveling symphony has written since the end of the world, the orchestral music that they play while they perform Hamlet. And then we're going to have the proper score for the show. So it's like three worlds of music, folk songs, classical music, and score. And they're interrelated with each other. (laughs) In a very difficult to describe way at that time in the conversation. Well, the thing is, is that the score is not supposed to be aware of the songs and the Hamlet performance music, but they eventually become aware of each other as we go in the show. Yeah, back half of the season, things wonky things start happening where, like, I think diegetic score becomes our score. Or we realize, holy shit, that piece of score we've been hearing is from what the conductor wrote for Hamlet? Yeah, the conductor, what the conductor writes becomes her personal theme. Except you did something that's both quite simple and incredibly complicated. You, instead of the minor, you popped it to the major. Okay, so in the Hamlet, it's... Yeah, help us. Best podcast ever. (laughs) Right? And then when we hear it for her score, we hear... So it's the same notes, the same melody, but then it's reharmonized. Very interesting emotional things happen for people who maybe even don't even know that. You know, what it makes me think is that line in 102, one of the conductors first, where she says, I die every year when she composes for a Hamlet play. And she wrote her own requiem in composing for Hamlet. Dan's going to cry. The way Patrick says things sometimes gets me. Aww. But, um, you know, we were talking about how we were going to do this thing where people performed Shakespeare along to live classical music and have it look like the musicians were playing the music and create a thing where, it, you know, it felt like it was all really happening in front of your eyes. And it started with me scoring Hamlet from old movies that Patrick had selected. I send it back they rehearse Hamlet to the music I made. They say where they didn't have enough music and where they had too much. And then I edited the piece of music to work more around their rehearsals. Yeah. And Let then, me just add, Dan, just to interject, the they in Dan's story is Jeremy Pedeswa and a crew of 150 people in Canada trying to shoot the fucking finale because we were completely out of order. This is what was unusual. Dan needed to make music that we could play the scenes to in Canada. So he was forced unusually way out ahead of the process. So we're rolling in production and Dan's in LA and we desperately need him to output like more Hamlet. But kind of before the process, the natural process would have given you time to steep in the normal way, it feels like. So he was in it with us like at three o'clock in the morning. He just was in LA. But even going back further, like we were 
our process, even though we weren't together or even talking much at that point, we were all connected because those clips you were talking about of Hamlet, I was watching. I was mm. listening to the music that he had put together for that. And you then, made those videos for him. I made those videos. And then oh, you we- made- David, thank you. We put yeah. those together. So I like we, you and I hadn't even met yet, Dan, Mm-mm. but obviously I knew who you were before. So I was a fan, but going into the show, you know, part of our process is like, oh, we're going to temp the show with Dan's music from other stuff that he's done because, you know, it may not fit always, but he's, the sound of Dan is going to be in the show from the get go. You know, we'll, he'll change it and he'll make it station 11, but, you know, his sound is going to be there from the beginning. I'm just so jealous sometimes hearing how everybody has collaborated on this show. It just seems like such a rich experience. I mean, it's also a nightmare in a way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, or I'll put it this way. It's very DIY at, at times when you're problem solving. Much like Namban's rap as he was prepping in quarantine, he sent me a video of him self-rapping to something that Dan made out of my voice I just sent you a long voice text, Dan. And I was like, can you chop this up and then make it the tribe beat? And then we sent it to Navan. Navan rap sent me the video. Then I put the tribe beat on it on my phone, you know, like, and then I sent that out to David and Dan to be like, I think this is what it's going to look like on the day. But it's like, I shouldn't say nightmare, but I would say that like frantic squinting down at phone very late at night being like, we got to get this done. There's a lot of that, even at this scale. You can't see it in the finished product, but like it happens every day on every department. I've got Patrick's beat if you want to hear it. Yeah. Oh, the, me, the me version of the beat? Who's going to rap? Dan? Oh. oh, no, I can't feel like cut it off. Oh, no, it's the worst mistake I've ever made. We need Nabon for that. <laughs> Nabon is the king of that. Dan, will you speak to the art of temp score? Maybe people don't know what that means, too. So I think it just might be interesting just to hear about, like, for your process, too. When when you encounter a cut of an episode that has no Dan Romer music in it, um, but there's a map because there's a bunch of uh, other Dan Romer music or Underground Railroad music or various pieces from wherever, uh, and then your job is to make it you again. Yeah. So when an editor is editing something, generally they want to edit to music because if you're not editing to music and you'd intend to have a lot of music, the show feels really dry and kind of weird and doesn't feel like the finished product. So what you do is if you don't have score already from the show to use, you start using other composers' music to edit to, or you use music that that composer has written for something else. Either way, we can't use any of this music in the show. So I have to go and write music that accomplishes a similar feeling and hopefully do a better job. So like one thing that Eisenberg does or did anyway, that was really great was kind of like identifying moments that were station 11 centric in terms of the comic book station 11 and putting very similar score temp score that he edited to around moments that had to do with the comic. And it made it very clear to me, okay, I need to have a piece of music that relates just to this comic. And then ultimately Miranda as well. Wait, Dan, will you pause one second? I feel like we should listen to that amazing moment 
of score, uh, which is at the top of 103, <laughs> if we can, just to, to illustrate what he's talking about before you continue. I remember damage and escape. Then drift in a stranger's galaxy for a long time. But I'm safe now. I found it again. My home. Having an editor that really pays attention to temp score the way that David does makes my job a lot easier. It kind of gives me a bit more of a map as to what they were thinking in terms of the emotional flow of something. And yeah, David's great at it. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> no, no I, it's part of it's also knowing like you're in good hands. Your hope is always that the temp is going to get elevated. And Dan is someone who did that every single time which is just like insane. Not normal. Not normal. So like on my side, you know, it's a lot of it's informed by like what I'm listening to, what I'm, what I like, you know, what I'm watching, you know, I was watching Underground Railroad. So like it informed that. And I'm so glad like Dan's open to hearing that stuff and taking it and then putting our, you know, Station Eleven spin on it, which he did beautifully. Thanks, David. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You know, we've kind of bounced around talking about a few different episodes, but I want to steer us into talking more nitty gritty about the finale. One of the things that's most stunning about the show is how even though it's bouncing around timelines and perspectives, it's edited in a way that feels cohesive. Like this feels like a cohesive moving, fluid story. Like every cut makes sense. David, how the hell did you pull that off? How the hell did you pull off all this jumping around, all these, that, (laughs) I don't know if I could, like, that is crazy. How did you pull this off? How did you find, you know, moments to spread your wings as an artist in the editing? I'm so curious about your process through the finale, especially. Well, Luckily for me, we had an unbelievable team, and that's really what it came down to. Let's you know, name them. Let's name them let's, all, David. Yeah. <laughs> it started with Isaac and Kyle, who cut episodes one and three. Isaac Hagee, Kyle Ryder. They were on before you know I even came onto the show, and they established this amazing tone. And then you know I brought on a team of people that I had all worked with before Anna Hauger is someone that I've collaborated with on multiple shows and I knew she would be down for a system where 
we shared everything. There was no ego, no preciousness allowed. Sometimes you get so close to a sequence and you're convinced that you've got it right. And that's exactly the moment when you don't have it right and you need to step away. Anthony McAfee and Yoni Reese and Carolina came on and helped us with Carolina episode two. Everyone pitched in and was a part of this process where we shared it all. So, you know, it's amazing that you feel that way because it's what we hope for, that it is cohesive. It really is a product of the collaboration and the teamwork. Everyone knew every scene, every daily. So you could insert any person on our team at any moment and have them kind of step in and come up with a brilliant idea. David is a producer on the show. He won't say this, but I'll say it. He designed this system. This is not normal. This is a new way to do it. And I think the results speak for themselves. And then just an example for one of these Anna moments when she would come in and do something unbelievable in episode 10, Clark and and Miles are at the window after the play. I guarantee you a lot of people didn't even notice it happened. Half that scene is in year zero and half that scene is in year 20. And the way Clark turns they're blocked in the same way. That was intentional. We, we always knew we would want to feel both times. But like you can watch that scene and not realize that you're skipping 20 years between shots. They're all heroes on board that plane. Every single one of them. Those people saved us. So did you. those big speeches at the perfect time. I was fucking good at the big speeches, wasn't I? Big on me. It's so seamless. And that was that was Anna's answer to a note that we got. Uh, that was sort of like, this, this section isn't quite working. Can you do something? Anna over in her Evercast room too. <laughs> An <laughs> hour later, like, check this out. And also got a shout out Gina Gonzalez, who was like the architect of our whole everything and just like the most amazing human. And she helps so much with everything, but not just posts. And she's probably still working on the show somewhere in some capacity. <laughs> no one knew the show as much as me, as Gina did. Like, it's very lonely to be the showrunner sometimes because your brain is, has the whole show in it. Gina was the person I could say, you know that moment 30 frames after when Mackenzie turns around in four, when she's walking away and our cue start, Gina would be like, yeah, <laughs> she's just real time, just like right in it. It's so helpful to have people whose minds are just grabbing the whole thing at once. And she's got a big one. You know, I really want to ask both of you about, for both you, um, Dan and David, how do you work towards cohesion? Because I think this finale could have easily been, there's just so many ways it could have not worked, but it works on an emotional level, a narrative level, a craft level. How in your own respective ways do you guys work towards creating cohesion for the series in this finale, especially? Dan, I would love to hear your answer to that. I have these different themes for characters, but also situations. And they all kind of can live in the same musical world. They all sound kind of like one band, one group made all these pieces of music and they can all 
have interplay with each other. They can all sort of exist in the same world. You know, when Tyler and Kirsten are performing Station Eleven up in the tower, it's going between the Station Eleven theme and Tyler's theme. Um, can you say more about that? Like Tyler's theme and Kirsten's theme? Because the characters have themes. I don't think everyone knows that. Um, but but things start happening when different characters walk up. Well, Tyler's theme is... Um, da, 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 da. And then Kirsten's theme is um da 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 and so they're in kind of similar rhythms in sort of similar mm -hmm. feeling keys and they're able to sort of transition in and out of each other pretty easily. Mm. You know, I think that you create rules of harmony for the thing you're working on. You say, this is the harmonic language, the kinds of notes I'm going to use, the kinds of scales I'm going to use. You say, these are the instruments I'm going to use. These are the ones I'm not going to use. It's just sort of a dream state logic thing where you're like, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. Mm, yeah. So one thing I always find interesting about film and television is how little people talk about the relationship between a performance and the editing of that performance. And one of the reasons why the finale works so well is obviously seeing Jeevan and Kirsten meet again and the emotional impact of that and the beauty of that. And I really want to hear from you, David, editing with performances in mind and making sure to give them the breathing room they need so the emotions feel right with the edit. I'm just very curious about how you think about acting as an editor. Well, it makes it a lot easier when you have actors as good as the ones we have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find a bad take in any of them, honestly. And then for me, it's just... I do always try to find the quiet moments, letting things breathe. You know, it's hard sometimes because we have to hit our and I'm very conscious of like getting an episode in at a certain time. But there's times to speed up and then there's times to slow it down. And and hitting those in the right spots is so important. And my thing has always been like letting the performance dictate the edit, too. It's mm. like there's always interesting things you can find in some of these performances, especially with actors like these that guide you in a certain way. You know, there was for the hug, it's like, I need to get my ass out of the way and let this be as like emotional as possible. So like, what can I like, you know, it's, it's really just like staying with them as long as possible. I love that you can hear the tiniest like breaths and things, you know, they're not saying anything, but you hear both of them emoting. And I just like that crushes me every time. And then we think about like, well, how can we add to it? And one thing for that one in particular was like Midnight Train to Georgia was so powerful. And Deborah Cox gives this unbelievable performance, but it's kind of doing its own thing in its own place. And then 
this reunion that everyone's been waiting for needs its own space. And so in that moment, we're like, well, let's switch to score there because it might elevate it to this other moment in an emotional level. And that's where like Dan comes in and just breaks everyone's heart again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, David. And Pat and I, you know, we come from the the Lindelof school of TV where, (laughs) (laughs) where these moments are obsessed over and thought about and planned. And he's someone that's had a tremendous effect on the way we make these things. And, you know, that's something that's not lost on either one of us about crafting these kinds of moments. If I may say me too, even though I've never worked with him, Lindelof is very, very much affected the way that I, I make things. But you're a huge fan. Huge fan. I feel like David went to high school, college, and graduate school in the Lindelof School. I feel like I came late, and I, I went. I just got my graduate degree there, <laughs> and then Dan, Dan sort of studied uh, abroad, <laughs> something like he's. I did the remote, online program. remote learning. <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta ask those those Pips vocals. Um, You know, I think I may know some people who were doing that, huh? Yeah. Well, two of the three men on this (laughs) podcast are pips uh, in, in in that sequence right there. And one of them... Ain't David Eisenberg. <laughs> no. <not me. laughs> but Dan, Dan, what happened? Why, how, how is it that, that we were seeing that you and me and one other performer were doing the pips in the middle of the night? Essentially, we didn't have vocals that we were allowed to use for the backup vocals, for the pips in the Midnight Train to Georgia scene. And we thought that we had something on a hard drive somewhere we could use, and it turned out that we did not. And then so it was like midnight, it was due on the mix stage the next morning. And it was just like, all right, we got to find another person who can sing with us. And we got a friend of mine who's an actor and Patrick and our friend Paris and I, Paris Hunter Paul, stayed up until like 3 a.m. or something recording these Pips vocals. That is cool. Did you auto-tune us? I did no auto-tuning. I'm not, oh, that's that's right. one of the things wow. that, there is no auto-tune on the vocals of any of the Station Eleven score because there's no auto-tune. It's the future. There's no... I love it. Your conceptual rules made it impossible. Yeah. I, I generally, I don't know. I have a distaste for auto-tune. When I hear like kids clearly being auto-tuned, I'm like, no, that's come weird. on. Let kids weird. sing out of tune. It is weird. It's a little weird. Don't auto-tune a child. <laughs> they're cute when they're at... That's the whole thing with them. They can sing super out of tune and it's cute. And yeah. like Like... Just let them be out of tune. It's great. Since we're talking so much about music, and both of you two know Liza Richardson so well, I would love to hear you both talk about what it's like to have a next-level music supervisor on a show, uh, what that opens up, and what Liza's contribution to all these amazing needle drops was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Liza, she's someone I've worked with on a, on a bunch of shows at this point, but she was someone I knew before just because she was a KCRW DJ. And mm. I'm just like, she's cool. <laughs> <laughs> she picks great music. So to then like be able to collaborate with her is truly just a dream. I mean, she oftentimes you can't get a song. So like we'll dream big and put in something and think it's perfect and then like inevitably you're told like it's too expensive or you can't get it or the rights are entangled in like 30 estates that like can't clear the sample or whatever it is and then she'll send you a 
email with a gift of like, you know, a group of songs in a link. And first of all, all of them are amazing. They may not all work for the scene, but there's always one in there that's like blows your mind and is something you've never heard before. And that's just where like she shines. It's like she always delivers when she sends you something like that. It's a playlist you have then use for your dinner party the next yes. day. <laughs> Every time. When you're a composer having, you know, your, your music supervisor is sort of like the entire thing you're doing is like a duet with them. It's like we're always switching off who's taking the lead musically, you know, and it's just so awesome having someone like Liza being the musical soul of these needle drops. I think there's an art to needle drops because sometimes people I think are just like, cool song. Let's just put it in here. But it's like, sometimes I'm like, but is it earned? Like, does that make sense for the moment? And y'all's needle drops always made sense. I appreciate you saying that because it is on our end intentional and they do have to have a meaning behind them and they have to have a purpose. Otherwise, you know, there's a lot of great songs out there, but there's not songs that work for a specific moment. You know, like when we brought back the tribe song at the end of nine, like that made sense because of the work we did in seven. And those types of decisions are things we all come to together and, and realize that like, that can't just be a cool song. It has to be intentional. At some point it just starts feeling right. It's just like, yep, it's gotta be that. And this show in many ways is all about feeling the <laughs> artists feeling things, the actors, every artist involved. I love it. And I love that I got to speak to you guys today. This was a really awesome conversation and made me think a lot about certain arts that feel invisible when we talk about film and television that we kind of forget to get into the nitty gritty sometimes. So this was really great hearing both of y'all's perspective. It was so wonderful to be here. So get to hang out and talk about stuff together. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Angelica and Pat too. But Angelica, it's been awesome hearing you on all these and, and thanks for inviting us to talk today. Aww. Stranger No More. Stranger No yeah. More. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say thank you again to our amazing guests for our lovely, wonderful final episode, Dan Romer and David Eisenberg. This was a really great conversation. It's so fascinating hearing the craft of other artists who have to evoke emotion through movement, or in this case, sound and the movement of an episode in a way. What stood out for you, Patrick? Well, I'm sad uh, mm -hmm. because we're done. But what stood out for me is episode 10 is the craziest attempt storytelling wise. And that's always true, too, with your finales. It's kind of it's its own art making a final episode. And the choices that I made in how to solve our problems of folding story together in the way we needed it to fold were pretty high risk, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. And so our partners at HBO and Paramount were fully behind the attempt at not just making everyone come together in the airport in the way that they do, but using Hamlet to try to tell our emotional story and then get to something super grounded at the end, just two people walking and talking, mm -hmm. just, you know, all of our teams who just killed themselves to make Station Eleven, that the frames during Hamlet 
are the realization of every department's work simultaneously. The density in that sequence, you can see it in the background everywhere. Everyone had to go and follow through then once I said, like, let's do it this way. And Dan and David are just two of a dozen HODs who were like, okay, we're going all in here. Everyone delivered in their own way and in a different way. It was so exciting. And this conversation reminded me of how hard and complex 10 was, but also just like, it's what's beautiful about the show to me. Actually, we've talked all about how the show got made and we haven't mentioned um, by name all the writers. I want to just say their names. We had a mini room to start with Gina Welch, McHugh's, Maurizio Katz, Kim Steele, and we cracked a bunch of it. And then we had a proper room for 20 weeks with Shannon Houston, who was a force in that room, Sarah McCarran, Cord Jefferson, Will Waggle, Monica Maser, Katie French, and Colleen O'Brien. Like Everyone was working together incredibly to make 10 work. That's why 10 works. Yeah, it's a stunning testament of the care and the rich craft put into this show. And I think that's the reason why it's resonated so much with people emotionally. Oh, God, I can't believe our little journey is coming to an end. I know. We met via email. And then <laughs> you were like, hey, we're doing this. Maybe we should Zoom once to get to know each other before <laughs> <Yeah>. we... <laughs> this is just a few months ago. Yeah. Um, but we've come a really long way, but we've been in different cities this entire time. And I only know you as screen you, but I know you, you're two dimensional right now. Something seems wrong. It's a pandemic story, I guess. It is really a pandemic story. If anything, this pandemic has distilled for me what's most important. And while I don't think a television show can change the world in the way people mean when they say change the world, but it can change someone's world in a way. And I think this show was a very enriching experience, both watching Station Eleven and also just doing this podcast with you. It's been a really big highlight of the last few dire years of life. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hopefully it's like um, an island you can stop at along the way and resupply. I like that. You know? (laughs) (laughs) And that's all for Station Eleven, the podcast. Thanks to everyone who tuned into our show and Station Eleven on HBO Max. Angelica, thank you for joining me on this journey into Station Eleven. I feel like I joined you. Your insight helped us create a, a much deeper understanding of the show and the world for our listeners. Oh, thank you, Patrick. I am just honored to get to get a window into your brain and the brain of some really great artists. It's honestly been a super inspiring, rejuvenating experience for me as a writer. It was an honor to work on this podcast with you and to interview these amazing people behind Station Eleven that you've helped to put together. I hope the audience found our behind the scenes discussion as fascinating as we did. Station Eleven, the podcast, is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio. It's hosted by Angelica Jade Bastian and me, Patrick Somerville. Our executive producer is Molly. I like to produce Sosha. A special thanks to Ethan Fixell. Our engineer extraordinaire is James I Like to Camp Foster. This episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to rate and review Station Eleven, the podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast for free. You can watch 
every single episode of Station Eleven on HBO Max. All right, just parked. I'm going to walk over to Angelica's. Green Bay Packers are playing tomorrow night at Lambeau. And I'm, I flew back to the Midwest to go. I'm stopping by to say hello to my co-host. It's really cold. <laughs> I don't know which door is hers. Okay, so I am going to meet Patrick for the first time and he's already getting confused with how to find me because of my very admittedly strange apartment setup. But let's see how this goes. Oh, it's cold as hell in Chicago, Jesus. Should I put it on a coat? I don't have one. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh my god, hello! It's so good. This is so weird! Happy end of the podcast. Ah! <laughs> yeah. It's so good to meet you! Hold on, there's the knot. Yeah, there's the fucking knot. Wait, 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 wait. You're, you're the traveling sibling. Oh. <laughs>